0: What's up everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 76. My name is Zach, I'm one of your hosts, and joining me as per usual, Ben Fisher.
1: How's it going, dude? Going pretty well. I just found out some really weird news. Um, it turns out one of my shirts is actually, uh, uh, Sigarda wants it for, for the, the Holy Church of Avacyn. Have you heard about this?
0: It sounds slightly familiar.
1: Yeah, it's because it, uh, it's really holy. It has a, oh, a big hole in it. <laughs> Right before the show, Zach watched me discover that I had a giant hole in one of my flannels. And I was like, huh, I wonder how bad it is. So I pulled at it. And as he saw, I basically just ripped my shirt in two. Like the whole flannel just like. Yeah. Oh, man. Interesting Roughly. choice there. <laughs> Look, I was never going to stitch it back. That's fair. That's fair.
0: Well, this week we're we're covering a topic that I think is probably not something you're going to hear most limited podcasters talk about or limited content creators oh, no. talk about
1: in general. It takes some real brave content creators to tackle this one. Everyone else, they're, they're cowards. They would never... <laughs> we we, we here we hear dare to talk about the topics that no
0: one else would. Well, before we do talk about topics no one else will... We have our usual housekeeping. Check out the Discord server if you're not already in it. We've been having some really good conversations there around Val and some of the different products that have been coming out recently in terms of WotC's card release schedule. The Unfinity set was just uh, spoiled a bit, so we've been talking about that and some beautiful lands there. But in any case, check out the Discord if you're not in it already. You can find the link to that in our episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Pod. That's the best place to go to support us directly. And uh, we have a whole bunch of tiers there. You can find s- stuff that works for you in terms of costs, or you can basically give whatever you want. Patreon's very flexible about that. But perks over there include things like stickers, access to our show notes, unedited recordings of the show where we have some banter before and after the show. And we also have our DraftChaff Hero Cards, which we'll sign and send out to you um, for the month that you that you join. And we've got our next batch coming out shortly, so keep an eye out on those. And again, you can find that at patreon.com forward slash draft pod. Now we have something really special we want to talk about before we get into the rest of our usual topics or or segments here. And that is, well, we're recording this on December 1st. And if you're in the Discord or you follow us on Twitter, you've already heard this announcement, most likely. But for those who haven't heard, we're doing something really cool. We are doing a sort of donation-a-thon, I guess, in that for every listen that we get this month, we are donating 25 cents. So you're listening to the show right now, you're contributing to that by listening. So we'll take uh, an amount at the, end of the, at the end of the month, on December 31st, we'll take a, a capture of how many listens we have and we'll multiply that by 25 cents and then we'll get how much we're donating. And we're donating to Direct Relief, which is an organization that we've done some research on And I'll let Ben talk about it a little bit more, but it essentially is helping all over the world with various things like medical supplies and and things of that nature.
1: Yeah, um, we didn't want to just, you know, give to to any old charity. There's lots of great charities out there, but also sometimes they have, you know, less than honest motives. Sometimes they're a little more profit driven. We wanted to make sure we found one that was actually doing what I would call direct aid, something that actually helps people like physically where the money is actually going to somewhere that needs it like badly. So right now, uh, Direct Relief, they're, they're doing a lot of good work, like helping people get vaccinated, helping provide PPE to people in places that might not have as easy access to it, which sounded like a pretty good thing to do, especially with these rumors of new variants on the rise that are especially hitting uh, underprivileged countries harder. So we thought it'd be cool to do something like this and uh, you know, try to spread the love uh, around this, this holiday season. So you know, one cool way that you can help us out with this is by sharing the show. More people will get to listen to our nonsense, and uh, more money will get donated. So, again, spread this around. Play it on loop. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Set it to play a million times. Actually, wait. Uh, I don't know if we... Yeah, I didn't, that. didn't think that <laughs> part through. Uh, <laughs> maybe Uh-oh. don't do that. All right. All right. Well, within reason, maybe we should have capped this because uh, our, our pockets of the Draft Chaff Patreon are not quite that deep. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll make it work. All right. With that, on onto our Cracker Draft type thing. And this week, Ben, it looks like you've got a bit of a spicy one for us.
1: Yeah, in fact, this isn't even one of mine. This is yours. You should tell us about this one. This is one that I thought was so much fun in the in the discord. We already had some good conversations about it. I wanted to make sure all the listeners got to hear it as well. Uh, it looks like you had a pack one pick one glorious sunrise, which is just a great rare solid thing in green and uh, just really tr- brutal to try to win a game against gaining three life a turn drawing a bunch of cards, the overrun effects. Whatever the last one is, <laughs> there's there's so many good options. I think it adds mana. Who, who cares? But now, way more interesting than that is your pack one pick two because you got past a card that doesn't often get passed. What happened here?
0: Yeah. Okay. So to be f- completely frank with you, I forgot this was my pack. Like looking at, it, I didn't recognize that it was mine. So,
1: <laughs> what are you uh, talking you about?
0: Know, way to call me out there. But yeah. So I was I picked a glorious sunrise pack one pick one, and then I was past a pack that still baffles me so in the rare slot yes there's still a rare in the pack it's hullbreaker horror Mm -hmm. the ridiculous blue bomb that should probably be played in every blue deck and some non-blue decks Mm. i don't know what was taken a common was taken actually over this and the three uncommons which i'll mention in a moment and i don't know really any uh, any common that should be taken over hullbreaker horror we had some discussions in the discord and I think Bleed Dry was the consensus that people thought probably would have been the only card that seemed even remotely reasonable to take in the common slot over Holebreaker
1: Horror. Maybe a Braid. Like, if you're super diehard on red decks, I've taken a Braid over some of the rares, but I would not take a Braid over Holebreaker Horror. This, but pack one, pick one? It's pretty messed up. Yeah, pack one, pick one. You just slam one of the, the best top ends in the set. Like, you're pretty happy about that, right? And even that, even that, you have got some nice, solid uncommons here, too. Uh... There's uh, Skullscob, Child of the Pack, Markov, Waltzer, all of which are multicolor, but Child of the Pack is just really good. I mean, I would take Child of the Pack over over a bunch of rares and over most commons.
0: Yeah, and then the, the commons themselves, there are some decent ones in like Courier Bat and uh, Repository Scob, and there's a Snarling Wolf in there and an Involving Wilds. Those really weren't catching my eye at this point. I mean, you see a massive bomb like Holebreaker Horror alongside three all very good uncommons, and I, I kind of ignored the comments for this pack, to be honest. But my mm. question here, and the reason I posed this to the Discord, was that I, I pack one, pick one to Glorious Sunrise. We often preach not to marry a pack one, pick one. But it's a, a very good rare, and it's a double-pipped green card. And I'm past an amazing rare that's a double-pipped blue card.
1: Mm-hmm. Not exactly
0: easy to splash. And blue-green is a deck. I, I could maybe end up in blue-green. But the question was, should I speculate on the Hullbreaker Horror or just take like the child of the pack and try to make that happen. And I think I I think I should have taken the whole breaker horror. I did not. I ended up taking the child of the pack and wound up in a pretty cool red green deck actually that ended up trophying. So I was happy with the end result. But I think the correct pick still should have been whole breaker horror.
1: Yeah, hindsight is twenty twenty. I mean, if you got the trophy, it doesn't matter too much, I suppose. But this is a tough one. So blue green. These are this would be two. Great blue-green cards, right? But blue-green is arguably one of the worst archetypes in the set. So
0: And green-red is arguably one of the best.
1: Yeah, yeah. So (sighs) drafting this format is weird. You definitely want to have some power in your deck if you have the option to. And here you're being given a great choice in being like, okay, well, maybe blue will happen to be open. Maybe you get cut off of green entirely. Maybe blue-red ends up being super open. Then you'd be very stoked to have the Holebreaker Horror. But then again, maybe you really regret not taking the, the Child of the Pack. So or maybe blue-green does end up being open, but you wind up in with just a bunch of blue and green cards that don't do anything, and then you have these two good cards, but you know that that two good cards does not always a good deck make. So yeah, uh, this is the tricky one. I think I probably would have taken until the very last second. <laughs> I probably would have taken the horror in the end, but I really like Child of Night. No, uh, Child of the Pack, rather. No, no, now that I think of it, I would have taken Child of the Pack. I've been having a lot of success with the with the werewolves. Yeah, I would have taken the Child. Uh, it, it's a really tough call. If you have thoughts about this and want to continue the conversation, let us know in Discord. This is a tough one.
0: Yeah, and I, I don't think it, it's as obviously a tough one as some might think. I, you know, I think a lot of people look at this and just be like, it's a hullbreaker or take it. My thoughts mm-hmm. were, were this. I have one double pip card already. If I take the Hullbreaker Horror and I don't end up in either green or blue, there's a very unlikely chance that I get to play both of them. Mm-hmm. Like splashing for one of these... One of the two is pretty difficult. We've seen it done, and I've done it myself. I've splashed Hullbreaker Horror in a green-white deck, and it's done. It it performed well. But but you need a lot to come together to make that work, and Mm -hmm. I wasn't very optimistic about that happening. And I've seen the green-red decks do a lot of good work, and most of the time when they do that, it's because of at least one child of the pack, sometimes more than one. And my thought here was I could take Hullbreaker Horror. I took a a green rare, but that's not going to influence anybody's picks. Almost everybody takes a rare pack one, pick one anyway. They're not really going to be thinking about my opponent picked a green card here. If I take the child here, then I'm very clearly signaling I don't... I mean, they won't know that the child was there, but of all the other stuff in the pack, I'm pretty much signaling I don't care about blue at all. And my goal was to cut red-green off immediately, like not let any good red-green cards through. And in this pack, the only good green card that uh, outside of the child is the snarling wolf and a lot of times those wheel anyway because for the most mm. part even though they put up really good numbers in 17 lands people tend to look down on the card so i was thinking i'd be able to cut the 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 red green sort of archetype from my right much easier than than the then blue with the hullbreaker horror
1: yeah I, I now i'm almost swinging back the other way to the horror because i'm thinking well if you take the horror here and you get cut out of either blue or green, but not the other, if you get cut out of one of the colors, you do still have a bomb in your remaining color. So let's say you wind up in like green-white, for example. Glorious Sunrise is great there, too. Or you wind up in uh, blue-black. The horror is going to be great there, too. Sure, you lose out on the Sunrise, but it's almost an expected value question, right? It's like, do you want the expected value of... Like, it's like hedging. Do you, do you definitely want one good bomb rare in your deck because honestly uh, blue green is not a place i've really enjoyed being in this in this set i think i only had one good draft of it and it's because i had like a olvenwald oddity and dollhouse and i had a bunch of cool graveyard stuff going that that deck was like a a machine but the average blue green deck is just a pile yeah this is this is a really tough one even though you took the child and i think i might have done the same thing I, I do think the Hullbreaker was correct,
0: but again, I think kind of where my mindset was was it'll be easier to set myself up for a good red green deck if I take the child now, instead of mm-hmm. signaling to the person I'm passing to that I don't particularly care about this this gold uncommon. Again, yeah. really do think that taking the Hullbreaker Horror was the better pick because similarly to what you said, if you end up in either of red, uh, in either of blue or green, you've got a good bomb to play, and it doesn't matter what the rest of your deck is. Both of these bombs fit well in their color, no matter what they're paired with. But I was hoping to get a higher strength red green deck and it ended yeah. up working out probably. I ended up getting past a couple of other child of the packs in this, in this draft. Mm-hmm. And the deck really came together. And Child of the Pack was easily, outside of Glorious Sunrise, was easily the best card in the deck. My other thought was, as yeah. long as I end up in green, it doesn't matter what else I'm playing. Because Child's going to be good. As long as I can splash it, it's going to be good no matter what.
1: That's the thing. Like, in red-green specifically, Child is possibly as good, if not better, than Holebreaker is in the average blue deck. Yeah. No? Yeah.
0: It's it's just like a game winner completely. Mm-hmm. And then if you end up with more than less. one,
1: it's, it's crazy. Uh, yeah yeah so. I, I love child I've been I've been soft forcing red green recently I, I I must admit I've really been liking red and green I just can't pass a braids I, I can't pass a braids I can't pass epicures I can, I <laughs> this is a weird sentence to say I find it difficult to pass an arling wolf <laughs> it's it's just been really That's nice a really
0: good card especially in those low end aggressive uh, red green decks yeah
1: it pairs so well with uh, what, what's the exile effects reckless something maybe I forget what it's called uh, oh, red one of the reds yeah yeah, the impulse. Uh, when you impulse on, I don't know, turn three, and you hit like land one drop, you're like, oh yeah, this is great. <laughs> like,
0: yeah, it also uh, almost I, always I trades up.
1: Yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, good, good, good discussion here. I, I'd like to hear from other people in the in the Discord if y'all have have input. What would you have taken? Like, comment and subscribe if you would have taken the Holebreaker Horror, or if you would have taken the Child of the Pack. There's no distinction there. Just do it anyway. I'm pulling out all the stops. Hopefully, the new ears are listening to this. We got to show that we're really quality. <laughs> content creators yep that's that's what we're doing
0: (laughs) all right with that on to our teferi tibble this is our roses and thorns style segment where ben and i share a high and a low from the past week uh, not always magic related so ben kick us off with your teferi tibble
1: right so it's been a little bit rough readjusting to work (laughs) getting back after the, the nice long holiday yeah, but it, it, then again, it was only a few weeks left. Then I, I have a nice long winter break, and I'm looking forward to that. My students have been giving me some some nonsense this week. For those that don't know, I teach physics and astronomy. And my freshman physics class is really just, I don't know, man, sometimes uh, they, they kind of act like they're they're seven years old, and I'm like, I'm in high school now. You know better than this. What are you doing? It's difficult to try to teach people, little people whose brains aren't fully formed, that their actions have consequences in a kind and patient way. Finding the right balance there is a struggle sometimes. Oh, and also, you're also teaching content. You're teaching physics content, too, on top of that. It it, it can be rough. But, you know, I still love it. It's a good time. And uh, I'm I'm not doing anything else with that. Anyway, my Tybalt this week, I had a... (laughs) I, I told you about this already. I had a whole plan for this afternoon. I was gonna go for a run, do my whole workout routine, do all this good stuff, uh, and then I got the the fabled text from a friend. Two simple words: sushi tonight. And that threw my entire schedule out of whack because I was like, all right, let's get on this recording. I'm going to get sushi tonight. Forget working out. Screw all that stuff. <laughs> so I consider this both a tibble and a teferi because there's some upside in here, but there's some there's some downside baked in that I'm gonna I'm gonna ignore for the time being.
0: Yeah. So for me, um, you know, we're just in the U S here, we're just getting out of, well, by the time you're hearing this, it's been a week, but we're getting out of Thanksgiving week. And I took that week off. It was the first week off I've had in quite some time. It was a very pleasant, pleasant time off. Uh, I got to do a lot sort of, uh, just working on side projects and things. One of which is my personal website, which I've had up for a while, but I've not been very happy with like the layout and the look and all that stuff. And I have a software development background, so I've been redesigning the whole thing and taking the opportunity to learn some new skills, worked on on actual design. Like I used to be a developer, so I would take designs from other, like from actual designers and then implement them. But I decided to take this opportunity to actu- actually boost my own design skills. So that's been Sweet. fun. Um, hopefully we'll have that, at least, like, the initial bits of that, that change up soon. And then I'll keep working on it. I'm sure it's going to be, like, an iterative process for quite some time. But, yeah, and then the holidays were super relaxing. I asked folks in the Discord to talk me out of buying a Switch, which everybody <laughs> rudely ignored and told me that I should get one. So <laughs> ended up yeah. going out with with Ben, actually, to to find one. And we did, and it was, it was good. We got it uh, set up. The problem was I didn't have a TV yet, so, you know, had to fix that too, which... The TV's in, but it's not set up yet. Um, have you
1: got to, to try out the Switch? Yeah, so
0: Hannah and I... Okay, super awkward story. So we didn't have a TV, right? Uh-huh. So I was like, how are we going to do this? The Switch came with Mario Kart 8. So I was like, yeah. her and I can play some Mario Kart. It'll be good. But then I was like, how are we going to do this without a TV? I mean, we could play on the Switch, but it'd be a super tiny, tiny screen, screen. to yeah. to split screen. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I'll plug it into my computer. But my computer uses a, like a 49-inch ultra wide display. Mm. So when I plugged it into that, that it just... It did, well, it did, but it didn't like it stretched the whole screen out. So I had to manually like squish it in and then I couldn't get my speakers to route through the right sound. So we just played in silence.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Dead silent Mario Kart
0: is one of the more awkward things I've done in my life, which I suppose (laughs) is a a pleasant thing actually. But yeah, but the TV's in and we got a cabinet that it will go on. So I need to set the cabinet up and then we can actually play Mario Kart with sound and it'll be
1: more enjoyable. <laughs> so funny. Did you consider pulling up like another tab or another screen or on another device uh just like background sound effects from Mario Kart just so it has like the <laughs> No dude, that would have messed me up even more because they wouldn't have been
0: synced. It's like watching a bad oh, dub. Yeah, yeah. And like the the yeah. mouth is like completely off and everything. Yeah, it just it throws me off. Yeah, it's great. All right, on to our listener question of the week. This week, our question comes from Rob Dies at the End in the Discord, who says, when looking at the cards for a new set, do you have a part of your brain that is evaluating cards in the context of a favorite EDH deck? I'm thinking we can measure on a scale of, quote unquote, I only think of limited these days to that dude on Reddit who does a miniature centric review of every set has the right idea. I love this question, so keep yeah. this kind of stuff coming because these are, these are just in our wheelhouse. I think the short answer for me is... Yes, I'm always thinking about EDH in some capacity because I have a bunch of decks that I'm passionate about because I built them for specific reasons. And so Mm. when one card comes out, and it's typically something you don't have to really think too much about. If you know the decks that you have fairly well, you'll see a card and be like, oh, that needs to go in this deck. Like, that just fits. And for me, like, some of those are, like, goblins. If I see a good goblin, I'm like, that needs to go in there. I have a chaos deck. So that one is very like, this is a really wacky enchantment that fits those colors. It's got to go in there. Things like that. But typically when sets come out, the first thing I think is limited. And then I'll think after the fact, like,
1: oh, this would be a cool EDH card or, or something like that. Yeah, I do something kind of similar. <laughs> I'll admit, I do have an Edgar EDH deck. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm a monster. But eh, I honestly haven't even begun to update that with all the vampires we've gotten. I figured I'd wait until we got both Innistrad sets before I tried touching that. And honestly, I don't know what the flavor of a uh, Nuka Penna is going to be like. I could see there being some vampires in there too. I, I sometimes struggle with I like to make like big chunk updates at once almost. I don't like buying constant streams of cards i feel like that's not a, a very good way if i spend my money that way i will go broke very quickly so there's some there's some of uh, my decks that are a little more niche that i do actually find pretty easy to update and my brain just snaps right to it for example elk edh uh my my beautiful elk commander deck that honestly when wizards prints an elk it is i i throw confetti in the air it's a it's a great day uh, they do it very rarely but occasionally they, they do something stupid and print a very good elk. So when that happens, uh, I snap that thing right up. Uh, same thing with like auras for my Bruna deck. If there's a really, really good aura that's gotten printed, if something that, that's worth including, then I'll just, I'll grab a copy of that so I have it.
0: Yeah, I think it's worth mentioning when I'm talking about like thinking of new cards in in the context of, a, of an EDH deck, I think like I have probably more EDH decks than I really need. And I'm constantly building more online. I don't frequently buy the ones that I build. But I build them all the time. And there are a handful like a Traxa or a Minotau that I, I just don't really think about. Like I, I have the, I actually have those decks physically, but I don't really ever think about upgrading them because either they're just fine or I don't play them often enough to warrant making re- regular upgrades, or cards that could go into them are printed too frequently. Like, Mm, for instance, Atraxa is just a counters deck. Like, all it cares about is plus one, plus one counters or planeswalker counters or, like, any kind of counters, really. Yeah. There are way too many cards that get printed that are good that use that sub-theme. And I would go, kind of like what you said, I'd go crazy trying to keep up with it constantly. And I rarely play the deck in the first place. So I like to kind of think through, oh, this would be a fun card to put in an EDH deck. For decks that are a little more niche, things that likely don't get updates very often
1: in a fun way i've almost started thinking about how we could update the cube more than than some of my specific commander decks more on that in the future we do have some cube updates coming but don't uh don't hold your breath it's gonna be a little bit all right on to our main
0: topic and this week we're talking about the fabled one for two that's right you didn't mishear me we're talking about one for twoing and I guess, you know, there's a little bit of context we should go into. Limited content creators often talk about two-for-ones, which is something I think we are all familiar with at this point. It's as simple as it sounds, right? It's when you're able to trade one of your cards for two of your opponents, essentially. Mm -hmm. An example would be like using a combat trick to ruin a double block or just, you know, some way that a single card of yours is getting two cards worth of value out of your opponent.
1: Some cards are even inherent two-for-ones, meaning that they trade for two of your opponent's cards by design maybe a creature that kills another creature when it enters the battlefield, like, what is it, Ravenous Chupacabra? Something like a a Cemetery Desecrator effect from this set, which that can even be a three-for-one, as it is itself is a a body. Uh, It kills a creature when it enters the battlefield, kills a creature when it leaves the battlefield. So it, it always somehow usually, if, if you play it out to its maximum, trades for three cards. And it is itself one card. That'd be a three for one. But uh, we're focused, well, something magic players love, and that's corner cases. Sometimes it is correct to one for two yourself. That's where you are trading one of your, uh, one of your opponent's cards for two of your own. So the big question, uh, when is this correct? We're going to dive into this topic today. And this is just the most on-brand thing we've done in a really long time, isn't it? <laughs> Yes. Quick disclaimer though,
0: do this at your own risk. This more than other strategies is very, very, very dependent on the format, the cards in hand, the board state, life totals, even sideboarded status. So it's a big risk and often not correct, but sometimes it is. And that's what we want to talk about here.
1: So let's talk about the scenario that inspired this actual episode, a a real scenario that came up for me. I was telling you about this the other day when we were on that Nintendo Switch hunt. It's turn 5, my opponent is tapped out. I attack a hookhand mariner, it's a 4-4 side, into my opponent's Edgar Charmed Groom. The the busted 4-4 four four that when it dies, it flips, turns into an enchantment or an artifact or something, and it, it pumps out one ones, and then after 3 it flips over, and Edgar's a vampire lord, and then the 2-2 two, two lifelinkers, and then if he dies it does it again. It's a mess. I attack my 4-4 into their significantly better Edgar Charmed Room. My opponent blocks, as they probably should as they're supposed to because they can trade the Edgar off for one of my cards and, you know, then start getting all those infinite little tokens. But I have a Flame Bless Bolt in hand. I think about my options for a second, and before damage, I Bolt Edgar, which has the clause that if it would die this turn, exile it instead. My opponent... Tosses up the nice emote and the game continues. Edgar would have essentially bricked my aggressive game plan. I, I mean, I had a lot of big wolves and they were going to gain a bunch of life and have chump blockers and they have a million cards in hand still. Did I make the right play? I two for one myself, right? I, I traded two of my cards for one of my opponents. Was this the right play?
0: Yeah, so Ben and I talked about this at length during that switch hunt, as he said, and there are a few factors that you really should consider when you find yourself in a situation like this. First of all, what card are you 2 for one yourself for? And what cards are you spending, right? There's a there's a certain short of their cards, and in Magic we talk a lot about card advantage. And typically, especially with the last few sets we've seen, card advantage is a massive indicator for who's going to win. Or it has been, historically. So if your opponent can generate more card advantage than you can, you're probably not going to win if the game goes long. And... What we see most of the time is that, that is, that's enough. That's enough of the conversation and we can move on and talk about something else. However, there is another piece to card advantage and that is the actual value those cards provide to you. And in this case, Edgar is extremely valuable. It generates not only is itself a 4 4 for 4 with upside because it's a vampire lord, but when it dies, it flips into an artifact and generates 1-1s one for three turns until it flips back to Edgar and rinse repeat. And that is... Just a ridiculous amount of card advantage. We, we talked about it in the car. It's probably close to like two and a half cards worth of value on one card with Edgar. So mm-hmm. just by himself. And that that's ignoring whatever those other vampires are doing as he's lording them up and they have lifelink and all that kind of stuff.
1: There's no real way to know how it would have played out if I hadn't did this because I didn't do it. But I realized that my, my tall creature deck would have had problems against these two, two lifelinkers. I decided in the moment that th- that bomb in particular, as some bombs are was worth spending multiple cards on in order to remove for good. Now, I, I might not have made the same play if I was trading like uh, like a 3-3 a and, a, and a shock to just get the body off the board. If, if, I, if I wasn't worried about the whole extra value of flipping and coming back and all that stuff, I might not have made this play. I might not have said that. I might have just been like, okay, I'm not going to attack here. Okay, I'll, I'll one for one. I, I don't think I would have done that. But because this Edgar was itself going to provide multiple cards worth of value... It's almost like I kind of kind of hedged my bets. I said, okay, well, I, I want to guarantee that they don't get more than two cards worth of value out of this thing, because if they had just made infinite tokens, then, I don't know, I, they might have gotten 10 cards worth of value out of this thing. I mean, uh, a 2-2 two, two life-linking creature is th- that you're approaching. That's like three quarters of a card right there, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a serious amount of value that that card, the, the Edgar, generates, and like I was talking about when it comes to value in cards, those those two that you spent, the creature and the Flame Bless Bolt, probably still didn't equate to the value that Edgar generates if they just sat on the board. And yeah. I think weighing those two, you still come out ahead because you spent two cards of value for probably what was like two and a half cards of value just by itself, plus whatever, you know, depending on how long that, that scales up, how depending on how long it was out. So... Some bombs and and often not just bombs, but some cards by themselves are worth spending multiple cards on in order to remove for good because you have to weigh in the moment, how else do I deal with this? Because, right, you you have that sort of situation where it's, if I don't deal with this now, what do the next few turns look like? Mm -hmm. And in that case, it probably looks something like this. You find a different way to kill Edgar, which keeps him off the board for three turns, generates blockers. You're playing big wolves. They can just chump block for the rest of the game and none yeah. of your wolves get through, and they're gaining life. And then they find some other way to kill you.
1: Yeah, they're still playing cards. like <laughs> They're right. not devoting turns to this. Like That just happens. They just get tokens now.
0: Right. The other option is you kill it for good now and can figure out a way to progress your game plan going forward. And when you look at it like that, I mean, getting Edgar off the board was paramount to you winning that game. And you needed to do it or beat them down super aggressively and be able to get through all of their, their blockers. Um, and like you said, they're still playing other cards, so you know, whatever else they happen to bring out is going to be a problem for you as well. So there's a huge piece here of just evaluating the... the actual value that those cards provide you rather than the number of cards spent.
1: And let's be honest, like I was down two cards and my opponent was down one card. It's not like Edgar actually puts other cards in my opponent's hand. That wasn't the easiest game to to win, but you know, I I thought it was necessary because some magic cards are better than other magic cards. Like uh, Toxroll is better than a vanilla 8-8, right? The cards are are printed differently. And in this case, I felt like it was a worthwhile trade. Also worth noting, I spent about the same amount of mana total. Uh, sometimes if you end up spending a, a drastically different amount of mana dealing with a creature, if you spend like a 5 mana kill spell on a 2 mana creature, that usually feels bad because while it is a 1 for 1, you are trading down on mana, and mana efficiency in recent formats has been pretty important, especially now that you're able to use these really tight uh, I guess tight abilities, something like blood or, or those, those uh, corner activation costs, that kind of thing.
0: The other piece that I wanted to mention there in terms of mana efficiency is that there have actually been some articles that have come out in the last couple of years that have talked about how literally just being able to tap all your lands every turn when your opponent mm. can't do that is a huge indicator of of winning a game. Like if you yeah. get to go one drop, two drop, three drop, four drop, five drop for the whole game, mm. and your opponent goes two drop, four drop, you're you're going yeah. To like you just will because you're using your you're spending more mana over the course of the game than your opponent does.
1: So some other similar scenarios to this: attacking a small creature into a bomb and maybe trading that creature plus a pump spell or a combat trick. So let's say, for example, if opponent has Child of the Night, which I do consider a a genuine bomb in red-green. That card is very good. (laughs) Think about it. Your small creatures are basically invalidated by the 2-5 body plus the potential token production. I will always attack a 2-2 into Child of the Night of the Pack. Child of the Night? I always say Child of the Night. Child of the Pack. I mean, uh, not if I'm just straight up bluffing. If I have an a braid in hand, I am absolutely always attacking a 2-2 because think about it. What's that 2-2 doing anyway? You're just going to like your opponent is going to generate cards. Those 2-2 wolves are basically cards, especially when they flip into three twos 2s uh, if they can flip the child. So uh, again, you're basically breaking even in a weird way. Yeah, sure, you're down on actual cards, but think about how you're actually going to win this game. If I'm doing the aggressive game plan, if my opponent manages to stabilize with the child of the pack and then starts pumping out tokens, there's no way a red green deck is going to beat through that if they uh, are, are starting to fall behind in the slightest, or if their their current game plan is to win by going wide or attacking with a bunch of two twos and two threes and that kind of thing. So I will always attack a 2-2 uh, into a Shadow of the Night if I have an Abrade in hand. And to be honest, sometimes when I don't, too. <laughs> but we have a whole episode on, on bluffing, too.
0: Yeah, and one other piece, if you're on the fence about, ooh, I don't know if I should be 2 for one myself here, or, I, you know, I'm not really sure about this. Think about the ability of both of your your deck and your opponent's deck to generate extra card advantage. If you are reliably going to generate more card advantage than your opponent can, Two for one of yourself at one point is likely not going to affect you as, as badly as if they are generating a lot more card advantage than you uh, because, you know, you'll you'll end up eking that back.
1: Mm-hmm. Card filtering helps a lot, too. I'm a lot more likely to make these plays if I have like a blood token or two laying around and I know, okay, the lands that I pick up off the top are basically non-existent. I guarantee that my next few cards are going to be gas. Like we also have mentioned before, this format is full of inherent two-for-ones. Think about the three-mana, three-two human that enters the battlefield, just draws a card if you have another human. Or the spore thing, the three-mana, three-two, again, that dies into a card. So a lot of these creatures just make sure you have a card. Blood can churn through lands in the late game. All, All these things smooth your draws and your hand in really reliable ways. So I am more likely to do this kind of play in a set where I do know that I can still you know, regain that card advantage or at least break even on cards. In this set, more so than others, I found myself occasionally hovering over both libraries to see who's ahead on cards more, whether it's me or my opponent, just out of curiosity. It tends to be a pretty good indicator of who's winning the game, uh, whoever's deeper in the library. Of course, don't fly too close to the sun, but.
0: Okay, so. We talked about some bombs here, but there are other ways that you can 1-for-2 yourself or 2-for-1 yourself in in Magic and in Limited, and one of those is double blocking. A lot of times you'll see folks uh, chump blocking, basically just like your opponent attacks with a 5-5, five, five, you block with a 4-4, four, four, and that's it, and you had another 2-2 two, two on the board. Sometimes double blocking feels bad because, yeah, you're two for one yourself. Say they had a 6-6 and you had a 4-4 and a 2-2, but there's often a certain point in the game where double block's the only real line you have to win because if you start losing a creature a turn and you're you're making it harder for yourself to deal with their creature unless you happen to draw removal or some specific trick, and you sometimes need to sort of bite the bullet as it were and just lose the the extra card in order to get a real threat out of the way so that you can move forward with your game plan.
1: Yeah, say you're getting beaten down with a 4-4 or something, and you have two 2-2s. It really hurts to put both of those 2 in front of the 4-4. It, it, you feel like you're getting blown out, but at a certain point you have to just say, I need my opponent to not have the trick in order for me to win this game. Like, this is the most profitable line. Uh, what really hurts is when I see this kind of thing and the opponent just blocks with one of the 2 It's like, okay, well now you've just one for zero zero for one to yourself like now you're definitely not going to win because you didn't even give yourself the chance i mean what are you going to hope to draw if you if you draw like something that would be like a three three okay yeah but now you're still in the same problem right like you, you're, you're still chump blocking unless you're now going to double block but then you could have made that play earlier so there's two main kinds of double blocks although you know there's infinite corner cases it is magic the gathering some double blocks are an exact trade Think of a a 2-2 and a 3-3 jumping in front of a 5-5. That that trades perfectly. Some are not an exact trade. Uh, That would be a 3-3 and a 3-3 jumping in front of a 5-5. So only one of these cases is a 1 for 2. Uh, that's when you're you're doing that exact trade, when you're trading exactly two of your creatures for exactly one of their creatures. Uh, if you have the 3-3 three, three and 3-3 three, three jumping in front of the 5-5, five, five, that's the preferred kind of double block you can set up because that is a 1 for 1. And in fact, that's a profitable 1 for 1. You just traded your 3-3 three, three for their 5-5. Five, five. Those are the kind of things that you want to set up if you're on the back foot like this. But let's say your opponent attacks with a 3-3. Three, three. You block with a 4-4. Four, four. They cast Sure Strike, and you feel like you just got totally owned. So the question is, why is that? You're even on cards, right? Uh, you, you, just, you both just spent one card.
0: Yeah, and I think this comes back to what we were talking about with the bombs, in that what are the value of those cards, right? You, you traded your 3-3, three, three, which is a real creature, for their combat trick, which only does like one thing briefly, and then, you know, that's it. It feels like your card is a lot more valuable than theirs, and so when you're trading a creature for a combat trick, you're generally not happy.
1: Yeah, and now you're behind. If you were racing, uh, now your your racing potential's gone. You can't attack with it. You definitely can't block with it because it died. <laughs> so not not a great situation to be in. Sometimes you'll find yourself in the position where you have to one for two out of necessity. It's generally better to do this than to trump block, as I was saying earlier. There are some cases where uh, maybe you need to draw lightning bolt effect off the top to win, and you have a bunch of one ones, and you don't want to put five one ones in front of a five five because because that's functionally buying you five turns. Sure, that is a very different case. But usually if you're chump blocking with your smaller creatures, like we mentioned earlier, you're just kind of setting yourself up to lose. That that keeps you alive, but it's not going to help you win. You generally want to win a game of magic, not just try to not die in a game of magic, right? When you're chump blocking against something like a 6-6, you're drastically reducing the number of cards in your library that can actually get you out of this situation.
0: Right, because again, if you had a 4-4 on the board and they have a 6-6 and you're trying to buy yourself an extra turn, even if you don't necessarily need to, with a 4-4 on the board, any 2-2 will get you a profitable 2-for-1 block. I mean, I guess not profitable, but a reasonable 2-for-1 block on the 6-6. If you trade your 4-4 away, now you need to find a 6-6 or a yeah. removal spell.
1: Yeah. Play around removal while doing this if you can, while setting up these these double blocks that are going to be uh, one for twoing yourself. I mean, sure. Sure. Maybe they, they have the removal spell. Maybe you're just going to lose anyway. But you should prefer to go to one life rather than uh, set up a chump block. You know, that, that, that tends to be my strategy. Your life total is a resource. Sure, sometimes they'll have the combat trick and you'll die. Or they'll have the pump spell and you'll die. But you might have been going to die anyway. <laughs> like if even if you had set up the, the double block off the top. At least in that case, you're more likely to be able to eventually set up a profitable double block. Uh, yeah, or, or maybe get to a case where you can double block, clear the board, and then... Sometimes a top decking war can be better for you than your opponent.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then also, you know, try to try to keep results-oriented thinking in check. Um, you obviously don't want mm. to think doing something was correct or incorrect simply based on the results. So keep that in mind when you try this out and it doesn't go your way. One other thing to keep in mind here, too, is not only removal, but the combat tricks like we talked about. Because sometimes... You know, your opponent will throw a three three in front of like weird. Maybe you have two one ones or something or or a one three where like you're just going to bounce creatures off of each other and Mm -hmm. then they have the trick and they end up blowing you out. That can be problematic. So keep an eye on like weird attacks as well. Ones that just genuinely don't make any sense unless they have a combat trick. Or yep. trying to bluff and, and use those to your advantage as well.
1: So also while setting up one of these uh, <laughs> 1 for 2s, think about the kind of cards you have left in your deck. Honestly, while this is an episode about 1 for twoing, it's also an episode about how to avoid being in the position to have to 1 for 2. I recommend getting some kind of deck tracker. Honestly, being able to know what cards could come off the top of your library may help you make informed decisions about when it is right. To try to set up a 1 for 2 or not, maybe uh, you, you remember, oh, you have a sure strike that's left in your deck. And maybe uh, that would hold off chumping that 4-4 that four, four with that 2-2 two, two for one extra turn because, hold on, you could top deck that sure strike and then you could set yourself up for that. Don't give in to the, to the fear of going to one life. Um, I, I honestly can never remember what I have left in my deck. I don't really have that kind of memory. And it helps you make informed plays while deciding what cards to trade.
0: Yeah, and frankly, it's just a good... It's a good tool to have in your tool belt. Mm-hmm. Chances are your opponent's using one too. So yeah. they you don't want them to get that extra advantage. And a lot of times it'll save you time as well. I think there's something to be said about the time equity of realizing there is literally nothing in my deck. Like we talk often about get playing to your outs, right? But yeah. there's, there's some serious equity you get back by looking at your deck list in the middle of the game and saying, there's literally nothing I can draw here that will get me out of a situation like this. I can chump mm. block for four turns, but all I'm doing is wasting four turns worth of time, and I may as well just concede and move on to my next game.
1: Yeah, you can play out the game and be miserable if you want, but this is a game. We're trying to have fun and be happy here. I prefer to spend most of my time uh, in a winning position <laughs> or, or potentially winning, although I guess statistically you might spend more losing. I don't know how that works out. But anyway, uh, use this, this strategy, this double block at your own risk. If your opponent has a combat trick or removal spell, they will do the thing that we warned you. They'll get that one for one, but it's a profitable one for one because they're trading a situational card for maybe one or two of your creatures. And that ends up being just about as bad as it gets.
0: Okay, then the last kind of section we wanted to highlight here, like similar sort of situation where we can see ourselves being one for two is surviving a mind rot effect. So it's a little bit of a niche case because they don't frequently see play, especially in Limited. But sometimes your opponent casts a card that has some sort of mind rot effect. Almost always a three cost black sorcery or sometimes we see this attached to a creature. Typically it's a three cost sorcery that makes you discard or exile two cards from your hand. So when this happens, what are you supposed to get rid of? What are you looking to try to use as in terms of eking out value from an effect like this?
1: Well, the cards that we're trading here, your opponent has spent three mana on this effect. The cards in your hand that it's trading for, you haven't actually spent any mana on yet, which is kind of cool because while you are going down on cards, you, in a weird way, might go up on mana if you're playing a tempo or aggressive game. So sometimes if you're playing like super aggro, you love seeing your opponent do this because, you know, you didn't need that last land in your hand anyway, something like that. And uh, you already have a solid board presence and maybe your your deck is constructed in a way such that this is profitable for you 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 like that they're doing three mana and not affecting the board so again uh they invested a card and three mana ish into this effect you are losing two cards but you don't have to invest any mana or anything like that it tends to be best to immediately toss the card that is furthest being from being cast that's that's one of the the heuristics that i i follow for this if i'm being mana-routed, i immediately pitch the, the card that is the furthest away from being used, whether it's uh, land number seven or uh, an eight drop that I, I'm not going to be able to cast because I'm also discarding my lands, something like, like that. I, I tend to immediately toss something like that. Unless it is a true bomb, it'll stabilize you. Something like Flourishing Hunter you might not want to discard because maybe it's what you need to stabilize on the board that your opponent is crafting. But then the second card, it's usually almost always right to pitch like a seven drop and a land. If your opponent is doing this on, like, turn three. Uh, Especially because your deck is, on average, like, half lands, right? In the next few turns, you're going to draw that other land if you kept maybe uh, three lands total in that four drop in your hand. You'll find more lands. But that seven drop, as good as it might be, I don't know, if you're discarding, like, two lands, you got it way luckier to to end up casting that by drawing those off the top.
0: Yeah, for sure. And, I mean, there are some obvious picks here right cards that you can get back from the graveyard relatively easily like screaming swarm comes to mind you pitch Mm -hmm. those because you'll get them back eventually and that's that's always great you almost are happy that they're there (laughs) uh when, when you get hit with an effect like this but Ignoring those edge cases where you can get extra value from putting cards in your graveyard, these are some of the things you want to think about. Also, if you happen to have a card that cares about cards being in the graveyard, we've seen some of these mm. where they're like a two drop that needs like three cards in graveyard to be effective. Well, you'll want to think like, okay, I need I need three creatures in my graveyard to make this card's effect work, and I can play this card next turn. I'll pitch two creatures Because the rest of my hand is like Incident Sorceries, which you'd like to have the creatures, but it turns this other creature online much earlier than you would have expected. So some things like that, some weird edge cases to think about as well.
1: Yeah, it's important to think about the cards that are in your deck. Uh, If you have a raise dead effect in your deck, like you said, like something that can get the creatures back. just. Bin some creatures, you know? If you have a raised dead effect in your hand, but no creatures in your graveyard, just toss the raised dead effect. You're not using it right now. You're not using it for a while. That might be the furthest thing from seeing play. Uh, I'd try to, you know, order the cards in my hand. of like, all right, what do I think I'm going to be playing next? What's the furthest thing? What's the most impactful is also a good consideration to make. But sometimes just the, the curve out, like you mentioned, spending all of your mana every turn is a good indicator and good way to still find success in a game where you are going down on cards like this. I mean, mean, these effects do vary wildly in usefulness. These mine route effects do tend to be best when uh, they give the target of them the least amount of choice or remove like high value expensive cards. So if you're yourself trying to utilize these, just be aware of that. Maybe you could sideboard this in against an opponent that you know had, had some big bombs that might get stranded in their hand while they wait to top deck lands or something like that. If you're aggressive, you shouldn't really be that interested in this. You know, it, it shouldn't really matter. If you are playing an aggressive deck, you don't care. If you're playing an aggressive deck, you shouldn't play Mine Rots because you're trying to kill your opponent with cards in hand anyway. It shouldn't matter how many cards they have in their hand. You'd much rather pay for uh, just another creature for three or something like that. It can hurt if you're playing aggressive and get Mine Rotted because sometimes it feels like you just got stranded with a few little dorky creatures on board.
0: All right, so that's all we essentially had to talk about in terms of one for twoing. But We're not quite done yet. We have one last topic that we wanted to highlight, and that is the Arena Open. We've been getting some questions about how to prep for that. And it's coming up very, very shortly. In fact, it's right now, if you're listening to this the week, of, <laughs> like right during release. So we're going to highlight some of the stuff on Arena Open and how we're prepping for it and things like that. And then we'll close out the episode.
1: Yeah. So I've been playing a lot more best of three in this format. I find it more enjoyable. Uh, the games can be played out in ways that help you adjust for some of the bombs in the format, which has been a big mark against this format. I'm torn, actually, whether to enter the arena open in best of one or best of three because of how the, the loss out system works. I think it'd be good if we go through a brief rundown of these specifics, although hopefully people listen to this while it's still applicable. Uh, I don't know how many people will.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll post a primer or something in the Discord so it's available yeah. beforehand. But yeah, it is interesting. The, the best of one, best of three thing kind of changes because it's not the same as our normal ranked queue versus or non-ranked queue versus uh, the arena open. So for the arena open, entry cost is either five gem, 5,000 gems or 25,000 gold, but you get a bonus. Now you can get cash for six, seven, or eight wins with an even bigger grand prize. So the breakdown looks something like this. For best of one, on day one, you get uh, zero to four wins. You don't get anything. Five, five wins, you get 1,000 gems. Six wins, you get 2,500 gems. And then seven wins, you get that day two invitation, which is what we're all going for on day one. The extra mm-hmm. gems are nice. And you get all of those rewards, I believe, up to that point.
1: But here's something weird, something that I don't love. None of these provide enough gems to get you back in if you if you come a little short. So if you get six wins in a best of one, 2,500, that only gets you half the entry cost. So you only recoup half of what you spent on this. It would really suck if you go 0 for it and then you walk away with nothing.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's not certainly not ideal in that way, but that's relatively relatively common with, with some of the arena events. Like they, they don't usually like to enable people to go infinite no matter how well you did before uh, before losing. In any case, the day one for best of three looks a little bit different. You only get no rewards if you get zero wins. One win, and remember, we're talking about best of three, so you have to win actually two games to hit one win here. But one win is 1,000 gems, two wins is 3,000, three wins is 5,000, and then four wins gets you that day two invitation. Now for day two, you only have best of three. There's no option to pick best of one. And for day two, whether you get no wins at all or up to two wins. So zero to two wins, you hit 5,000 gems. And from there, it scales up that the amount of gems you're getting up to five wins, you're getting 25,000 gems. And then once you hit your six wins, you start to cash out. And that's $1,000 for six wins, $2,000 for seven wins and $8,000, sorry, $2,500 for eight (laughs) eight wins. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. So... If you aren't in terms of prep for this, if you have not done any best of three drafting, start. Whether you picked best of three for day one or not, you're going to have to play best of three. So it's good to know what cards are worth taking in terms of sideboard slots. I'm fairly positive day two is a completely separate draft as well. I think so. Yeah. So keep that in mind as well. I guess it would have to be, yeah. Um, keep that in mind in terms of uh, looking for cards that that could be well placed for your deck sideboard to use against opponents, things like that. And, um, share your, share your days with us. We would love to see how your, your wins are going, what you're finding people playing, how the just overall open draft experience is. I'm really Mm. hoping that they don't have any (laughs) issues with that. I know recently there've been some bugs where it looks like packs aren't getting past you, but they actually are. And then you time out and it auto picks for you. I've had it happen to me. It's not fun. Um, Watsi, is very good in the past has been very good in the past about recouping your your draft cost if that happens to you i'm not sure how well they'll do that for the open so yeah we'll see how that goes
1: nothing would suck more than being so close to that cash prize and then something going wrong i don't know knock on wood cross your fingers folks i'm torn on whether to open uh i'm we're gonna say something
0: yeah uh do we know what what the number of losses are for each of these days that you're allowed? We don't have. Oh uh,
1: yeah. I believe for uh, the best of three, it's only one loss. You're out. Uh, and day one or two or both Oh, for day one, for day one, for best of three, for day one, it's one loss. You're out for best of one. I think it's two or three. Um, Okay, but that it's really
0: I mean, again, really two losses for best of three because you have to lose two games. It's just one match loss.
1: Yeah, two two games against the same person, which right. I'm I'm torn on uh on which I should enter under because right now I think I have like a like around a seventy percent match win rate for best of three, but I have a lower game win rate uh in individual games, closer to like something like 62 or 63 more, more reasonable. I don't know. Like, I'm a little it sounds bit like torn. I'm still
0: killing it on on
1: the best of 3 circuit. So, I'd probably I just have go gotten there. I've gotten really good at going 2-1. <laughs> That's um I I have in fact I'm in a little bit of a trophy rut right now because I've just gone 2-1. Hold on, let me just look. 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 Out of my last 13 drafts, uh, 10 of them have been 2-1s. Wow. So, I, I'm, I'm good at 2 one but that's not great for my gems pocket, you know? Yeah, uh, I'll, yeah I'll probably you go best three, yeah. at three. Yeah, I think I'll go best at three because uh, it, I do like that you can recoup some of that. If you just get to three wins, you can get back that 5,000 gems and then you can re-enter. That sounds nice. Also, day two, if you could cash prize this thing, if, if we can get someone in our community at all to cash us, that'd be so cool. Um, yeah, that'd be so cool. Yeah, if, if someone, uh, one of uh, our listeners, does cash this. We just like to remind you that um, we have our Patreon account, oh and my you gosh. can feel free What a to
0: jerk! <laughs> what a jerk!
1: No, but seriously, if you do cash out,
0: s- like some, send a picture or something in the Discord, we'd love to celebrate totally. with you, just because that's that would be an incredible situation, especially right before Christmas. Like some folks could really use that for family and all that. Like it'd be really, really cool to see uh, to see somebody in our our community hit that that cash prize. Oh so. yeah.
1: I want an extra twenty five hundred for the holiday shopping season. Let's just let's just put it like that. And and uh, for, for me, for me, I mean for me, I have some stone forges I gotta buy. Yeah, right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right, well that does it for us this week. Thank you so much for sticking with us and listening. Again, if you haven't already, check out the Discord. We are really building a, an awesome community there. We have really come to enjoy a lot of the folks who are there and just having a blast with everybody. Um, it's kind of weird to like, know, like have friends online that you've never met or even seen their faces or anything, but like you have mm. such this awesome camaraderie, like when people disappear for a little while and come back, everybody's like, Oh man, where have you been? It's been, you know, we've missed you. And it's just yeah. so cool. Yeah. Like not something I ever imagined we would get with the show, but thank you all for those who are in the discord. And if you're not check it out, it's, it's, it's really fun. Mm-hmm. And if you are interested in supporting the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Draft Chaff Pod. Really, really appreciate all of you who are supporting us in that way as well. And if you want to find us on social media, you can do so by finding me at Zach E. Hackett. You can find Ben at betafish One. And you can find the show directly at Draft Chaff Pod. Probably the best place to go to reach both of us. But that's where you can find us on socials. And um, well, good luck in the open. We'll talk to you next week.
1: So before we go, today is actually one of my favorite holidays. And that's Spotify Wrapped Day, which isn't a real thing, but its it has kind of become a big thing. Uh, it's the day when everyone shares their Spotify Wrapped to whatever their preferred social media is. You know, I might dump mine in the Discord later on. You'd have seen it by now if I did. Uh, <laughs> it's just a lot of fun. I love seeing what all my friends are listening to, what they've been putting lots of hours into. Uh, it's fun to see your own top songs. I will say last year... Uh, mine were pretty bad. They were pretty terrible. It was the pandemic, right? So I mean, everyone's we're, were a little off, but I had made like a like a restful bedtime playlist where it was just a bunch of like a bunch of artists that I, I really liked, but I picked out like maybe their instrumental interlude song or that kind of thing. I put them all on a playlist and those were all my top listen to songs because I just listened to it every night. It was stressful times. I needed some help fall asleep, right? And uh, so funnily enough, my my top songs were these just like obscure, really peaceful, quiet, just not representative of what I usually listen to at all. Much more like an indie rock, indie folk kind of guy. But they were still from my usual favorite artists. So like my top artists looked fine. It looked normal and representative of like what I listened to. But my top songs just absolutely abysmal. I had a similar problem,
0: but not um, just kind of across the board. I listen to a lot of film scores when I'm working because there are no mm. lyrics to them. So it's easy for me to not like kind of drown it out, but have something that helps me focus. I guess if there are lyrics that I know, my brain plays the lyrics over and I, I'm like, I, I end up not focusing. Mm. So I play those a lot. So my like top artists were like a couple of people I actually listened to and then like Hans Zimmer and John yeah. Williams and... Than like one obscure one that I think probably came up from Hannah. But um the other thing was I have a tendency to get like really hooked on individual songs and I'll listen to that song in exclusivity for <laughs> however long until I decide, okay, I should probably listen to something else. Just and beat it into the
1: dirt. That weird. happened
0: yeah. right. And that happened this this year not too long ago. I listened to the same song 77 times in less than 48 hours. <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's, it's far and away my most listened to song. And what's that? Is it is it a good song? I think it's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, it's, um, expect, yeah. uh, it's called Messengers by Jared and the well, I can't even remember what the name of the band is. That's awful. <laughs> I have Jared, All I think those it's Jared in the Mill.
1: Uh, I'll have to listen to it. But, yeah, yeah I actually was, think uh, was, like the, a lot. was the Interstellar soundtrack one of those those top instrumentalists, because that's my go-to work uh playlist.
0: It's definitely on the playlist. Um, the funny thing is, I'll, I'll probably post my wrapped stuff in the Discord as well. But funny thing is, uh, one of the songs that was like most listened to or something is one that I don't actually like. It just came, it oh. comes on the playlist all that time, ta- all the time, and it like it's playing in the background. So I a lot of times I won't skip. Um, mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's kind of interesting. But um, we have some interesting stuff for the podcast too. because oh, yeah, we podcasters get a wrapped every year as well. So we thought we'd share some of those in this sign off as well. So first thing, this isn't related to the wrapped, but we get insights on like what other, what people who listen to our show are also listening to. And we've got some interesting, uh, interesting sort of artists here. We'd run through in aggregate. So we're not singling anybody out here. This is just like of all the people who listen to us on Spotify. These are some artists that they're listening to as well. Taylor Swift, Adele, Fleetwood Mac, Bing Crosby, and Vince Guaraldi Trio. I don't actually know how to say that name, but
1: Vince Guaraldi, I think. Yeah.
0: Okay. I I haven't heard I haven't heard them, but uh, it's some like solid music, I guess.
1: Yeah, <laughs> That's no, not I, stuff I, I listen to, to regularly, but yeah, no, this is this is a good list. Um, I haven't checked out the new Adele album yet, so uh, this is an open invitation. If you are the, the people listening to these, uh, any of these that we mentioned, we're not doxing you or anything. But just uh, just you know, hop in the Discord and chat with us. Halo Swift, the, her new re-releases and some of that stuff, uh, pretty fantastic. I love uh, Jack Antonoff and his production on her recent stuff has been really good. Fleetwood Mac, obviously a classic, uh, just great stuff all around. Go Your Own Way, all time banger. Um, oh wait, shoot, no, that's uh, that's the other one. Cut that. <laughs> Shit, what's what's the Go Your Own Way? That's um, wait, no, no, it's not. Of course, that's that's Fleetwood Mac. But was that released under... I don't really listen to them, so I don't know. No, 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 no. Hold on. No, no. I, I'm, I'm not losing it. Of course. Go, go Your Own Way was released under Fleetwood Mac. Um, I, I, I was thinking of... Uh, never mind. Um,
0: I typically don't edit the Fleetwood sign-offs, Mac. so this will be fun.
1: Oh, God. Are you leaving this in?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't have to, but I typically don't edit the sign-offs.
1: No, no, no. Le- leave it in. Everyone should see. I, I love Fleetwood Mac, but um, I couldn't remember... Anyway, read some of the other information while I look this up, I have to figure yeah. out what I'm, what I'm getting confused about here.
0: So more stuff from the podcast wrapped and then we'll, we'll actually wrap up here. But um, yeah. we found 15 fans from Spotify. Listen to us more than any other podcast. That's a huge honor. Thanks to those who are keeping us their number one podcast. Really, really mind blowing that anybody's doing that. We had four specific fans listen to us on international podcast day, which I'm not sure what day that is, but that's cool. And we had 15 fans listened to most of our episodes. I'm not sure what these metrics actually mean. I don't know what listened to means, like if they got one second in or actually listened to the entirety of it, or if they're saying most of our episodes, meaning like an aggregate of all episodes in time that people listen to more than 50% of like every minute we've, we've released. I, I don't know, but that's something. And then we, it says, so overall it said we, we released 46 episodes this year. We've done one a week, so we could kind of do the math ourselves on that, but it it didn't take all of them into account. It gave us a metric that we released fourteen hundred and eighty-four minutes of content across twenty three episodes. So it was actually closer to double that, most likely. I mean, we typically keep our episodes around the same amount of time, give or take. So yeah, that's fun. I don't know.
1: Thanks everyone for listening. Um I think what I was confused about, maybe I was thinking that Go Your Runway was like Stevie Nicks exclusive. Who sings in Fleetwood Mac, I don't know what I was thinking but uh, uh, I, I've just sold myself out as a, as a fake Fleetwood Mac fan, and I'm not I love them, they're great, The Chain uh, incredible song, just one of the coolest compositions ever, but anyway um, may, maybe go ahead and share your own uh, Spotify Wrapped t- if you haven't already in the discord, as well as as your uh, hopefully cash prize winning drafts from, from the open good luck everybody and uh, you know, have fun